Good morning. If you're just joining us, my name is Andrew Forrest. I'm the pastor of this congregation. I'm pleased to see you here today. We normally have two services each week. Today's a little bit different, and I always preach at 9.30, and we have a service at 11, and sometimes I preach them, and sometimes, as has been the case recently, we have uh, the video of Paul Rasmussen at our sister congregation at Cornerstone. But I'm just glad you're here today for a special service. I've been following the news from Syria. Have you been watching this news? We have children with us today. I don't want to go into the details, but some of the things that has been reported that have been happening there make me sick, evil. And I don't ask God why the things happen, because I understand how free will works. And I understand that without the gospel, our hearts are inclined towards selfishness and evil. I understand that. But here's the question that I ask that I want to know from God. Why does God allow evil to persist? Have you ever wondered that question? Why does God allow the evil things to keep happening? Why are the children continued to be abused? Why are the murders continued to happen? Maybe that's a question you bring today in the place where you are. Maybe you're in a place of suffering because of evil actions, and you're wondering, God, why, why are you permitting it? For the last several weeks, we've been looking at a great chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, where Jesus gives what I would call insider information. As a Christian, I, I believe that Jesus is the incarnate son of God. The mind behind the universe became flesh and walked among us in the person of Jesus. So I believe Jesus actually knows what he's talking about. And in Matthew 13, he gives us parable after parable that uh, contains a specific insight about the world. And we've been looking at that because I believe if Jesus has something to say, it's worth listening to. And today I want to look at a parable that I think will be relevant to all of us, whether we're believers or not, or whether we're people who are close to God or not, because I think there's a deep wisdom in the parable I want to share with you today. At the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the first message Jesus said is, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. In fact, one of the central messages of the ministry of Jesus is about the kingdom of God. And you have to understand, that sounds religious language to us, but to Jesus and the people of Jesus' day, that was political. So you will remember that the nation of Israel at that time was under the Roman boot. They were a subjected and subjugated people. And in the middle of that, you have this wandering rabbi who says, the kingdom of God is here, it's now. And he did things like he walked on water and he fed the hungry and he healed the sick. And the reason Jesus did those miracles is, the way to, is to give us a, a sign and a foretaste of the kingdom. So by the way, whenever you read about the miracles of Jesus, one of the things you can do is say, that's what the kingdom is like. Because in the kingdom there aren't hungry, and in the kingdom there aren't sick, and in the kingdom the dead are raised up to new life, and in the kingdom the lonely and the lost are pulled together into a new family. That's what the kingdom is like. So Jesus was preaching about the kingdom. But imagine if you were one of these Palestinian people, these Jewish people who were living under Roman oppression, and you had this rabbi who did miraculous things, things that nobody else could do. In fact, he talked in a way, as they say, with authority, that no one else talked, in a way that no one else spoke. Wouldn't you wonder then, if the kingdom is here, which is what you're saying, Rabbi, if the kingdom is here, then why is this still happening? See, if the kingdom is here, then why is what's happening in Syria happening? If the kingdom is here, then why are there lonely people in our neighborhood? If the kingdom is here, then why are the heroin de dealers seeming to win? Why are the crack dealers destroying our families and our community? If the kingdom is here, then how is it possible that young kids can graduate from high school in Dallas and not know how to read? 
If the kingdom is here, then how is it possible that these young girls at age 15 don't know anything that they have any value other than just to get pregnant and, and to let a boy love them? How, if the kingdom is here, then why is this? Why is that? You have your own questions, I'm sure. But they're powerful questions. Lord, if the kingdom is here, which is what you proclaim, then why is the world the way it is? The parable I want to look at today is in Matthew chapter 13. It is, in my opinion, one of the most profound and sophisticated parables that Jesus tells. It's a parable that has been with me for years. I think about it all the time. Here it is, Matthew chapter 13. It's called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. This is Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them, he's teaching to a group of people. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like... So first of all, whatever we're going to be reading and hearing about is some way containing a truth about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is just that place in which God's reign is acknowledged, where Jesus is Lord. So in any human heart, around any kitchen table, in any church, in any city, nation, where those things are true, where God's way is what happens as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, when the kingdom has come fully, that, that's, that's when God's will is done on earth, that's what the kingdom is. So Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds appeared. You, you follow the story so far? A guy plants wheat in this field. At night an enemy comes and plants bad seed. Then the wheat and the weeds grow up together. Then the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied, and the servants asked him, which is an obvious question. Do you want us to go and pull them up? Do you want us to weed the field? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. That's a powerful and provocative parable. But unlike almost all the other parables of Jesus, we actually have an interpretation from Jesus himself. So skipping ahead to verse 36. So he's told the parable to a big crowd of people. Then he goes into a house, verse 36. He left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Can I just say real quick, this is an aside. I hear all the time about people who try to read the Bible and it's difficult to understand. It's always been difficult. Don't, don't feel like it's just you or that you're particularly ignorant about it. And I would just say, don't give up. Because I think sometimes even the parts that we don't understand, God can use in our lives. You don't have to understand every part of it. And it should make you feel good that the people who were with Jesus all the time often had questions. Rabbi, please explain that to us, which is what happens here. Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. So Jesus says, okay, come in, come in, gather around. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. And that's a term Jesus used for himself. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So the sower equals the son of man. The field is the world, okay? The field equals the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. You got that so far? Are you aware of who's who in the story? And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. 
They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he closes with this great command. Whoever has ears, let them hear. May God add his richest blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is like, and Jesus tells the story, and here's how I want to sum up the story today. I want you to remember this. The kingdom, according to Jesus, is here. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is not yet. And the kingdom will be. According to Jesus, the kingdom is now. The kingdom is not yet. And the kingdom will be. I I need you to get this. The kingdom is now, the kingdom is not yet, and the kingdom will be. Let's repeat it together. The kingdom is now, the kingdom is not yet, and the kingdom will be. Let's do it again. The kingdom is now, the kingdom is not yet, and the kingdom will be. The kingdom is now. When Jesus came, and he preached, and he was suffered, and raised from the dead, and when the spirit fell upon the early church, things changed. The world was different. The kingdom is, in fact, here among us. I experienced a taste of the kingdom this morning. You perhaps think that one of the things I do is just sit around and pray and read my Bible all the time. I have to tell you that uh, that's actually true. (laughs) Most of what you do as a pastor are the things they never talk to you about in seminary. For example, I was out here at 6.30 this morning trying to figure out how to set up the baptistry we have outside on the front patio and putting together the canopy. And my friend John Gunner, a member of this congregation, who's a great guy, was out there with me early. And he got a phone call. And the the phone call was from his son, who had just been in Afghanistan for a year, and he was home safe in Germany. And I saw John's face as he got the phone call. I'm a dad. I can't imagine what that's like to get that call to hear that your son is safe. And as I saw John's face, I thought, that's the kingdom come. God is good. God is so faithful to us. The kingdom is now. Last week before the church, I was down at the 930 service, I was down in the basement getting ready. And I saw our little kids' band get together. We have a band of elementary kids who have just started. It was two fifth graders on a guitar, another girl playing the piano, and a, a young boy on the drums. And I thought, that's an example of the kingdom. Raising up young people in the faith, using their gifts to glorify God and others. You know what it's like to be a fifth grader and somebody hands you a guitar and say, you can do this? What a powerful message. I thought, the kingdom is now. It's here. We have had people step up and give up to their eyeballs through this campaign we've been running. And I'm the only one who sees what people commit and give. And I say, gosh, the kingdom is now. Because I know some people have made commitments that are scary commitments. But they step up with that kind of generosity. The kingdom is now. When we're here this morning and we're singing praise to God, the kingdom is now. When I invite new members to come up in a little bit and invite folks who want to be baptized to come up, that's the kingdom now that's already broken in among us. Let's say you were in a dark place this morning. The very fact that you're here and able to praise God as an example of God's kingdom working in your life. The kingdom is now. I'm inclined sometimes to be someone who tends towards cynicism, skepticism. I think those things are not of God. 
The people that I know that are most godly, that are most Christ-like, are people who are filled with hope in the world. They look at the world, not naively, as we'll come to in a second, but they look at the world, and they believe that God's already at work in it. And one of the things about the kingdom is the more you expect to see the kingdom, and the more you talk about seeing the kingdom, and the more you name it, the more you see it. And the more God begins to work. The kingdom is now. I wonder how the kingdom has made itself evident to you this morning. How is God working in your life? Perhaps the most important thing you can do today if you haven't been in church in a long time is to turn your heart toward gratefulness, regardless of what is in your past, regardless of what your current circumstances are, and praise God for the kingdom being here now. See, when the kingdom is here, people who have nothing in common already get together. That's what's happening in this church. We sit next to people on the pews were it not for the kingdom already coming among us, we would never have any dealings with. But in the kingdom, there's a new community, and that kingdom has come, and the kingdom is now. But, according to Jesus, the kingdom is not yet. Yeah, the, the wheat has been planted, and it's already growing. The kingdom is coming, and it's growing, and it's gaining in strength. But right beside are the weeds, which are also growing. Last week we had an evening concert, and when we have events that are open to the public, we often have an off-duty cop on, duty, uh, on the premises just to be safe. And I spent a while talking to the guy, I never met him before, and he works in this neighborhood specifically. And when he's talking to me about the drugs and the drug dealers in this neighborhood, and it's heavy stuff. I'm not naive, but, but I found myself thinking, how could you make your living? How could you carry around wads of cash that you get from somebody else's death. What happens to the human heart to deal out destruction to other people? The kingdom is not yet, friends. Today, within a mile of this church, there are lonely people. There are broken people. There are marriages that are fraying. There are people that are worshiping heroin and cocaine. There are other people that are delighting in their destruction and making money off of it. Within a mile of this church, there are the poor that are being oppressed. There are those of us that are wealthy, are hoarding what we have, and giving ourselves over to greed. Nathan came home safe from Afghanistan, but there's a lot of people in harm's way. Americans and Afghans and all sorts of other people. There are people working for destruction. There are people in pain and great fear all over the world today. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're here this morning, and the one thing that you know for sure is that the kingdom is not yet. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a field. And a man goes and he plants good seed, and the wheat begins to grow. But then in the nighttime, an enemy comes. Just like you, I'm curious about who the enemy is, how it was committed. I don't know the answer. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't even try to tell us. An enemy comes and sows bad seed, and that evil is growing up along with the good. One of the things that parable says to me is that it actually is true to a certain extent that things are getting worse in the world. The capacity for evil is greater than it ever was. This past week was the 68th anniversary of D-Day. Did I get that right? Yeah, the 68th anniversary of D-Day. What happened under Nazi rule in Europe could not have happened 400 years ago. For all our advances in science, and we're grateful for the great minds among us, for all our advances, evil is right there. We invent electricity and we invent ways to light the death camps at Auschwitz. We invent the internet and we invent ways to, to further sell flesh 
and push pornography to destroy people's lives. Evil is growing among us. A thousand years ago, it wasn't possible for people to make the sort of drugs that people are chained to today. According to Jesus, evil is growing. And it really exists. The kingdom is not yet. I wonder what your not yet story is. Sometimes people say things, I remember several years ago now, uh, when there was a guy running for uh, governor in Minnesota named Jesse Ventura, he got in trouble because he said religion is like a crutch, if you remember him saying that. And that could be true in a certain extent. In fact, I would say that I need the crutches of the faith to keep me up. But what is not true and what we reject, and I'm going to tell you again today, perhaps if you think this way, it is not true that the Christians are ever naive. We should be the most clear-eyed and clear-sighted people in the world. According to Jesus, evil is real and it's among us. And a lot of us are giving ourselves over to it. That means that we should not be surprised when there are people that are working against us. Let's say you're in your office. You work hard. You're a person of integrity. You're trying to live out your faith among your other colleagues. But there are people among you that are working against you. People who are trying to stab you in the back. People with whom you have deals, which they are not planning on upholding their end of the bargain. People who take credit for your good work. We shouldn't be surprised, according to Jesus, the weeds are right there growing in the field. We should never be naive about the state of the world. Yes, we come. Yes, we're baptized. Yes, we join the church. Yes, the kingdom is now. But it's not fully yet. And according to Jesus, in fact, it's working in sometimes incremental ways. Nobody plants corn and expects it to grow to 10 feet overnight. It takes time. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet. See, in our world, the sinners rub shoulders with the saints. What does that mean for our church? It means, first of all, we should not be naive about the state of the world. We should not think that just because we get together on one Sunday morning and sing praises to God and pray that everything is going to change. We might know that it takes prayer week after week after week and singing praises year after year after year. And we may not even see the kingdom come in our lifetime. It means that we should go out into the world and love the people who are working against us. In fact, Jesus says to love our enemies. I think one of the reasons he gives us that instruction is because our enemies are all around us. But even more personally... I received a Facebook message a couple weeks ago from a friend of mine who's here at the church. He may be here today. I haven't seen him yet. And he was just talking about how important the church has been to him. And it's the first church he's been a part of literally for like 20 years. And whenever people say that kind of stuff about this church, I always get a little nervous. Because I think, oh man, when's the other shoe going to fall? Because one of the things this parable tells us, in which I know just as well as you, is that there's no perfect situation here on earth. There are no problem-free situations, as Billy Abraham likes to say. Even in our church, there's jealousies and envies and greeds and lives that have not been fully turned over to Christ, or even in my life. I've been walking with the Lord my whole life. But the, the more God works in my life, the more I realize how sinful and selfish I am. How most of the day I'm thinking only of my own gain and my own comfort. In fact, one of the things that it means is God pulls us along this path of holiness, or in the fancy word of sanctification, as God is working in our life to make us more like Christ, less fearful and more courageous, less, less racist, more about reconciliation, 
less greedy and more generous, we realize how much racism, how much fear, how much greed still remains in our heart. We praise God for what he's doing, but we're acknowledging where we are. In fact, one of the reasons why we come together to church every week, and I'd like us to confess every week, and we sing songs like, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, is because we know the further into the kingdom we are, how not yet we are. I wonder if that's true for you today. So one of our jobs as a church is, is to never give up in pressing towards God. And until we are totally filled with courageous love, we know that God isn't through working in our lives. And we also know that regardless of however good things go somewhere else, something bad can come along with it. The more successful our church gets, the more people we have, the more money we have, the more programs we have, the more enthusiasm we have. In a way, we have to be careful though we don't become prideful. I want to become a good preacher in my life, but I also worry 30 years from now, am I going to be filled with pride or Christ-like love? I want you to be blessed in your careers. I want your children to be treasures to you, but I don't want your family to become an idol. I don't want you to be given over to greed and the siren song of success. See, there are no problems for your situations. The kingdom is not yet fully come. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is not yet. But, according to Jesus, the kingdom will be. You see how he ends the parable. He says, right now the wheat and the weeds are growing up together. But one day the harvest will come, and the harvesters will come and weed the field, and all things that lead to sin and death and destruction and all manner of evil will be ripped up, bundled up, and thrown into the fire, he says. The kingdom will be. Just as Christians acknowledge with clear-eyed sight the sin and evil in the world that besets us, we also proclaim the good news of a God who's going to come back and one day the kingdom will be fully realized. But in the meantime, the wheat and the weeds are growing up together and Jesus says, let's not pull up the weeds lest it damage the wheat. Did you, did you get that? that profound if we pull up the weeds now the wheat will get damaged <clears throat> ultimately we don't know why God permits the things to happen in this world the way they do it's a mystery that all of us will never know until one day the Lord tells us but we do get a glimpse and the glimpse is it's because he's gracious there's something about the grace of God that forbears his judgment upon us The kingdom is now, it's not yet, but it will be. And in the meantime, we have abundant opportunities for redemption. <clears throat> there was a United Methodist pastor in North Carolina last year. He became notorious in, uh, you know, in the blogosphere. Online, he, he said some stuff that was contrary to the orthodox understanding of the faith about hell and judgment and about some other things. And his little rural church kicked him out, which is unusual. Churches don't usually do that. He actually got kicked out of the ministry. And I don't know the guy, but I was reading about his story online. I thought there's another story going on here. And in fact, there was. A few weeks later, he came out and said that he is a sex addict and had been uh, given over to pornography and some other things. And his wife, in fact, served him with divorce papers. His life was just a mess, falling apart. That was the last I heard of the guy. Again, I don't know him. I never met him personally. 
this week I read one of the most amazing things I've ever read in my life. It was a blog post from this same guy on a new blog. He deleted his old one. A new one he created just for this one message. He went away to a retreat camp for guys who are in the midst of the diseases that he had. And he didn't expect it to happen, but out of nowhere, the grace of God came upon him. He metaphorically, I think, and literally fell to his knees in repentance. God turned him around completely. He healed his marriage. He's back together with his wife. And he's saying, I'm a free, I'm a new creation. I'm free in Christ. Thanks be to God. And I just thought, you know, if last year God had come and said, I'm I'm ripping out all the evil in the world and all the ones who are bringing death and destruction. That guy wouldn't have been able to tell his incredible story of redemption. Wouldn't have been able, be able to say, I repent and for the grace of God I turn towards God's great mercy. See, God permits the wheat and weeds to grow together. I think out of a desire that we'd all turn away from the way we're going and towards him. God isn't through with my life yet nor is he through with yours yet. And although it's hard for us to understand when, when we are in the midst of evil and suffering, I think what Jesus is trying to say to us is that God is so merciful, he wants to offer grace after grace and chance after chance. I wonder today what it is that God needs to pull out of your life. Maybe today God is letting some evil persist around us so that he can show us his greater power than the power of the evil one. Maybe today God is setting up you or I for a great story of redemption. Two weeks ago, there's a young guy in our church. He's here today. He was uh, shot four times. His name is Tim. He sits up in the balcony, and you can look for him after the service. I got the call from somebody in our church who said that, who was just his neighbor, who said, I've, I've heard bad things about Tim. I think you should go visit him, and I've been seeing him in the hospital. And one of the places he was shot was in his lung, and, and the bullet is in his lung, and the doctors are going to let it leave it there because to remove it would cause problems and it's just going to scar over. See, the, the kingdom is not yet. That's true. But the kingdom is now. This guy is a member of our church. I have somebody else in the church who's not a pastor who just said, I have a heart for this community and I heard about this and I want the church to know about it. So I was notified. I would never have known any other way. I was able to go visit this young guy in the hospital and kneel beside his bed and pray with him several times. The kingdom is now, God is actually at work, but it's not yet. There's still violence. People are still abused and hurt for no reason. The kingdom is not yet, but the kingdom will be. And I, I just like the analogy of the bullet in Tim's lung. Maybe that's the way it is for you and I right now in the world. If God were to come and remove all the ugly things, it would cause more trouble. But one day the kingdom will come. One day Tim's bullet will be gone. One day there will be no more suffering, death, and destruction. And that's what we're waiting for. And when we work in our children's ministry, and we give money on Sunday morning, and we greet people as they come in the door, and we mentor at-risk kids, and we build houses for Habitat for Humanity, and we get together and pray early in the morning, and we sing songs of praise towards God, we are acknowledging that the kingdom is not yet. That's why we're working in the world. And we're proclaiming that the kingdom is now, and we're asking God to give us the faith to believe that the kingdom will one day be here. So I just want you to leave today with this thought. The kingdom is now. When we're baptizing people in a few minutes, think about what it means that there's people being incorporated into the household of God. When we leave from here, we go with clear eyes that the kingdom is not yet. We're going into an evil world, a world that needs God's people to show love. 
as it says in the wedding service, which I performed last night. Go, therefore, in such a way that those to whom love is a stranger will find in us generous friends. There's a lot of people that are estranged from love today, and our job is to carry the love of God out into the world. And while we're waiting, we're proclaiming the kingdom will be, and we're saying, God, we believe, help our unbelief. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen, amen, amen.